0: Next week, we're going to talk about stewarding our talent and the following time, our treasure. But today, we'll talk about stewarding our time. A couple of thoughts. i that. First, um, I told someone earlier it's uh, with some trepidation that I entered into this sermon topic because I knew that it would force me to look inward in ways that I might not want to do. Um, and Anna and I have done that this week. So I want to invite you to join me in this journey. But the second thought is I, I I'm also encouraged by you. It is a blessing to serve um, the kingdom of Christ here at Christ Church and to serve alongside of you. So many of you give of your time so, um, so selflessly to serve the kingdom. And I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the way that you serve. And I'm honored to be here with you. But we all can grow. And so we're going to look to the word of God to do that today. Blake has put before you Psalm 90. We'll look to Psalm 90, but in addition, we're going to look to Ephesians Chapter five. There we'll look to verses fifteen and sixteen. Let's turn there, and then we'll ask for the Lord's blessing. Would you, uh, would you join me as we look to the inerrant and infallible Word of God? Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days. Or evil. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Would you bow with me. Father, we we come now to the word that you have ordained for us today, and we ask, uh, we plead for the presence of your spirit to guide us in understanding. Show us where. You are calling us to grow in Christ's likeness. We are calling us to grow in wisdom and take over. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Told you that I've done some reflection over the course of the week. And so guess what? I get to share that with you and invite you in today. (laughs) So I want to... I want to open our time with a question that that I hope will frame our thoughts a bit um, as we consider stewarding our time. It's actually two questions. What are you doing with your time? Maybe more importantly, why? Psalm 90 gives us a, a bit of a framework. Uh, to, to To look at this question, to to examine our our time, and it's important for us to do this today. It's important for us to to think about this question because we rarely take the th- the time to thoughtfully consider our time. <laughs> Paul Tripp is an author and pastor, and he. He's written a lot of helpful books, but he has written a beautiful book on leadership that is aptly titled Lead. Your elders and deacons are reading this book together, and in this book, Trip offers a set of gospel principles that he then applies to leadership. And One of those gospel principles that, uh, that he writes about is it's the principle of limits. Have you ever thought about limits as a gospel principle? Limitations this trip writes, or they're not a prison but a grace. It's helpful for us to to reflect then on uh, the grace of the the time given us, the limit of that time and to consider uh, what that allocation of time has to say about our all-wise and all-knowing God. Try as you may, you will never get 30 hours in a day. And try as you may, you will never get a 10-day work week. And that's a grace. It is by God's design. And so we must take the time to to thoughtfully, biblically reflect on this gift and how we are to steward it wisely and for God's glory. Psalm 90, probably as well as anywhere in Scripture, lays out a framework for us to think about time. And it does so by starting out, describing the eternality of God. Verse 2 does this beautifully. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. Whereas Genesis 1.1 1, 1 simply and profoundly puts it, in the beginning, God. You see, God is is the author of time. Before time was a concept, there was God. He is above time. He has authored it for us. Now, I know as we start to think about the concept of time, it can sound like a pretty heady topic. I'm reminded recently of a a pastor who shared with me that sometimes when we struggle with these these, these heady intellectual topics, we wrestle with trying to understand them. And we feel like we can accept these truths when we can fully comprehend them. But maybe a better way to wrestle with difficult truths is not to get our arms around them, but to consider their beauty. What's wants to consider the eternality of God, of His authorship, of time in terms of its beauty. This week we we got our first cold snap. Maybe when we woke up with those first few mornings in the low 30s, maybe you were like me, you started thinking about Christmas to come. <laughs> Christmas comes, we we bring out the the snow globe. The snow globe is this this glass and encased object with uh, this scene that it depicts on the inside. We take that snow globe, we shake it up, the, the snow falls down and, and it gives us this, this beautiful picture. But we are standing outside of the snow globe looking down on it, not limited by that encasement. God stands above time. He's not subject to its limitations. He is from everlasting to everlasting. God gives time. God sets the boundaries of time. So Psalm 90 gives us this framework beginning with his eternality and we look at it so that we can think biblically. We can develop a biblical worldview concerning time so that we might better steward it for God's glory. And when we think biblically, it is a reminder that we are under God. Living under His authority. Subject to His wisdom, subject to His limitations. We're called to be conformed to a worldview defined by Him. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Wise stewardship of time begins with thinking biblically. And thinking biblically begins with an understanding of who God is and His eternality. Psalm 90 opens there, but it frames the discussion about time by showing the contrast between the eternality of God and the frailty of mankind. That's where the psalmist goes, verses 3 through 6. You, God, return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Psalm is painting a picture for us describes the fleeting nature of time on multiple fronts. But here there's this picture of what we might experience in the Near East when the when the night rain comes, it would cause to sprout up a a carpet of, of grass that would it would blanket over the ground and until the sun reaches its its noonday peak and the heat of it would 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 cause that that grass to to scorch, to wither away, so that before night would come, that, that new fresh grass would be gone again. It's a little like the Alabama snow dustings that we get from time to time. We wake up to the beauty of a, of a light snow in the morning, but by lunchtime, it's all gone, a distant memory. Beautiful, but fleeting. It's a picture of time. It's actually a picture in Psalm 90 of us. Our lives have boundaries, and those boundaries are marked by birth and death. And those boundaries are set by God before time. Contexts of eternity, our lives are fleeting. Time is fleeting. Time is scarce. There's a fancy word that describes the limitation of time finitude. We are finite creatures, subjects to the limits of time. It's part of the wisdom understanding this framework understanding our own finitude but there's also beyond the wisdom that comes with it there's also a sadness psalm 90 is attributed to moses psalm written by moses later collected and added to the psalter this Psalm 90 has, as most scholars believe, as a backdrop, Numbers chapter 20. There are several major events uh, in Numbers 20, serving as a backdrop of the psalm, two of which were the death of Miriam and Aaron. Miriam was Moses' sister. And she died. In Numbers chapter 20. Aaron, his brother. He also died. Moses reflecting on the length of their lives and the imposition of time penned this psalm. But there was another event in Numbers chapter twenty that speaks to the frailty of mankind. Was Moses' sin as he struck the rock at Meribah? The Israelites were grumbling. They were complaining again about the lack of water in the desert, and, and Moses was frustrated. He complained about their complaining. Lord, why have you given me this people? So the Lord came, and he revealed his glory to Moses, and he gave him very specific instructions. Moses, take your staff and go to the rock, but there at the rock, speak. Speak to the rock. And as you speak to the rock, I will provide water from that rock to to nourish, to satisfy the people. But again, Moses was angry. He was fed up. He had had it to high heaven, and he took that staff like God told him. But rather than speaking, he struck the rock twice. God, in his grace, provided water to the people of Israel, but it was his sin. Moses' sin that was shown most clearly in this act. Moses did not follow the expressed word of the Lord. Rather than speaking, he struck. And the punishment that was doled out there in Numbers 20 was the punishment of death. Oh, Moses didn't die, in Numbers 20, but he was told, because of your sin, you will not lead the people into the promised land. It's a whole nother sermon to deal with all of that. But there, in the backdrop of Numbers 20, is not only the finitude of life, but the sin of mankind, and the punishment of which emphasized the limitation that Moses sings about in verses 7 through 11. As he speaks of God's wrath. Now all of this sounds kind of depressing, doesn't it? Death and wrath. So let's talk about that. There are categories for the Psalms. One of the major categories of the Psalms, is the, or the, or they are the Psalms of lament. To lament is to cry out to the Lord, to express poetically, musically, our sadness over the fallen reality of this earth. Moses is is lamenting in Psalm 90 the reality of the death of his siblings, of his own death, of his own sin, but there in Psalm 90 and verse 12, there is also a call for a heart of wisdom, To trust in the wisdom and grace of God. So so in the same psalm, you've got this cry of sadness, of lament, and then also a a cry for wisdom. And by the way, wisdom is another category of psalms. So which is it? Is this a lament psalm or a wisdom psalm? I wrestled with that this week. I wrestled with it With Michael, feeling much like this was a wisdom psalm, but he said, well, hang on. Why does it have to be one or the other? I mean, after all, isn't it appropriate to lament the boundaries of death? Yes. Death is the enemy. We lament death. Is it appropriate to lament the reality of our own sin that reinforces that boundary of death? Absolutely. But in this lament, there is also a call to wisdom. To learn from the boundaries of time to number our days. It's both. It's both wisdom and lament. But where is the bridge between lament and wisdom? Where is the hope that we are to find in this passage? Well, the hope of this passage is hinted here, but it's found in the whole of Scripture because we see in the whole of Scripture that the God who authored time entered into time. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, You and I might receive adoption as sons. Jesus. The instrument of creation, the eternal Son of God, entered into time to redeem a people for Himself. Our hope is found in the truth. That Jesus subjected himself to the limits of time and death itself. And he did so as an act of his grace given to us as a gift and received by faith alone. A faith that is to be a living faith. As we embrace this redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus, yes, we lament. But in our lamenting, we seek wisdom, knowing that these limits of time won't always be. Redemption is restoration. And God is restoring His creation. He is renewing His image in creation and in us. Because... We have been redeemed by Christ because creation is being redeemed. You and I, here and now, are called to live wisely with the gift of scarcity. Psalm 90 verse 12 tells us to number our days. It cries out, Lord teach us to number our days. It's a cry for wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5, 15, and 16 tell us to make the best use of the time. Essentially, Psalm 90, Ephesians 5, they're telling us to know and embrace the gift of limits. Does that sound like a contradiction? Gift and scarcity? I kind of want the gift of abundance. I don't know about you. I want the gift of unlimited gifts. God in his wisdom gives us something more beautiful. He gives us a gift of scarcity. He calls us to use it wisely. Economics is the study of scarcity. And the implications of that scarcity for the use of resources. In other words, scarcity forces us to make thoughtful choices. Scarcity forces us to make thoughtful choices. And yet, for many of us, maybe for most of us, with the limitations of time, we abandon choices and we lean towards one of two extremes. Some of us lean towards slothfulness really not a nicer prettier way to say it but some of us by nature are just lazy we're given towards the wasting of time we find lesser unimportant things to do or we just do nothing the call to wisdom is to actually do something to not waste the time that has been given us but others of us tend to fill our time with busyness. We do it for a lot of different reasons. Some of us, either consciously or subconsciously, are trying to fill some void in our lives. Others of us enter into this life of busyness passively. We live lives of reaction, doing without the hard work of choosing. Now, for all of us, there are seasons of busyness, seasons when the load feels heavy, and in those temporary seasons of busyness, it is a wise steward who works hard. There's, again, no two ways around it. There are seasons for all of us that will be hard, and we will be called to be all in. The faithful of God will work hard in those seasons. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the extreme of living with a chronically harried life. Set against those extremes. God gives us the gift of limitations. It's a gift. Because Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is still actively reigning over creation. He has not asked us to rule the world, praise the Lord. He's doing just fine with that work. And yet, King Jesus has lovingly placed us in time and space with a certain set of specific gifts and He's called us to wisely steward what He has given us, and no more. No more. He calls us to work for His glory, and He gives us rest from his la- from our labors. That's the rhythm of life that He has established. It is another framework of sorts, and the truth of that framework is this is a call to the wise use of the time that has been given us. So as we think about applying this call to wisdom, I, I want to offer for us an illustration and a set of guiding principles. First, the illustration. If you have heard me talk about parenting, you've, li- you've likely heard me offer the illustration of the photo mosaic. Are you familiar with the photo mosaic? It is the, it's this big picture. It is made up of a thousand tiny little thumbprint images, but when those thumbprint images come together, they they form a cohesive whole. Now, the photo mosaic, I believe, does offer a helpful illustration for our parenting, but also more broadly for our use of time. If you think about parenting, we have been given a season of. Years, however many years that may be to to parent the children that the Lord has entrusted to us and in those that season of years we are essentially painting a picture of mature adulthood but that picture is not painted in any one single moment it's comprised of a thousand little thumbprint images a thousand little small investments of time and those small investments of time come together to create the whole that has application with our parenting but it also has application with our use of time and so the two principles for our stewardship of time intentionality and freedom First, intentionality. Don't be slothful with your time. Don't waste your time. Those thumbprint images are important. We're called to intentionality with the small things. Because those small things come together to form the whole. The call to intentionality is to thoughtfully consider how we might steward the small moments and not waste them on something lesser, to use the small moments wisely for the glory of God. It's the principle of intentionality as we steward our time. But the photo mosaic also reminds us of the principle of freedom. There are a lot of reasons why we live harried lives. Again, some of us passively fall into it, but some of us are very actively trying to prove our worth. We're trying to be the Lord of our own destiny. But God is God, and you are not. And God expects us to live under His limitations. Giving 115% is a logical fallacy. Don't buy into it. You don't have 115% to give, but the gospel offers us freedom from that thinking. You don't have to paint the full picture of God's glory. You can't paint that picture. He's doing it. He's calling you and me to focus on the thumbprint. He's responsible for the final image. So in our intentionality... We can be free to choose wisely. Don't passively get caught up in busyness. Do the hard work of choosing. That's what I've had to reflect on this week. But as we choose wisely, we can rest and we can breathe. Ephesians five sixteen tells us to make the best use of the time. Wording means to actually redeem the time. Let's kind of close by contrasting two views on the best use of time. Two views on redeeming the time. The first is focused on efficiency. December 1st, 1913, Henry Ford introduced the first moving assembly line. His Highland Park plant in Michigan. People stood in place. The line came to them and they turned one little screw, and it gave Henry Ford the ability to make the Model T faster and cheaper. It was effective at being efficient with time, but what was the effect on the heart of the worker? It was a view of stewardship that was purely utilitarian is that what the Bible is calling us to? High efficiency production? It's effective at producing cars more cheaply, but it lacks beauty. Psalm 90 verse 17 opens, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. If you're reading along in your own Bible, With that passage, you might see a little notation beside the word favor. If you follow that notation to the bottom of your page, you would see these words, or beauty. The word translated favor, for the favor of God, is a word that means favor, but it also means beauty. If you trace that word throughout Scripture, you will see it in various places, translated beauty. The King James Version actually translates this verse Let the beauty of our Lord God be upon us. So maybe there's a different picture at work here. Rather than Henry Ford, can I put before you Dan Barber? (laughs) You probably don't know Dan Barber. Have you seen Chef's Table on Netflix? (laughs) You may hear other illustrations for me on this show. I have enjoyed it and have seen many beautiful principles from it. There's an episode on Chef's Table about Dan Barber. He's a chef in New York and he's one of the fathers of the farm to table movement and this episode speaks of the beginnings of that movement or at least the beginnings of Dan's experience of the movement and how that plays out in his restaurant but maybe more importantly and more appropriately his farming. Dan and his brother sought to reclaim their grandmother's farm in Massachusetts. It was a farm that they had enjoyed as young boys. Now, I don't know and sort of have my doubts as to whether or not Dan Barber is a Christian, but the way he talks about farming is a beautiful illustration of all that we have seen in terms of beautiful stewardship of time, You see, this farm was a, was a hay farm when Dan was growing up. But when his brother, he and his brother went back, the fields weren't producing hay. And they realized that a farm needs animals to be healthy. So they brought in dairy cows. But they realized that if they had dairy cows, they needed to further fertilize the fields. And so they got into the chicken farming business. soon they realized that the fields were growing but there was an encroachment of the forests around them and so how do you beat back that constant creeping of the forest you get goats but once you have the goats you start to have extra space around the edge of the forest and so they got into the pig business (laughs) little by little moment by moment None of it was fast. All of it was long term. But with each step, the fields became more healthy and the milk from the cows tasted better. How beautiful is that? Long term intentionality so that milk tastes better. It's a picture of the beauty of wise, long term, unhurried, intentional stewardship of resources, especially the resource of time it's a different focus than mere efficiency and productivity it's a picture of intentionality in the small things and yet in dan's story there are still echoes of lament there's a longing that he speaks of that his work as beautiful as it is can never satisfy which takes us back to the biblical lament, which takes us back to the author. Yes, Psalm 90 is a psalm of lament, but it ends with hope. Verses 16 and 17, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Friends, our work and our time, they find meaning in the context of God's story. And so with an eye towards the favor and beauty of the Lord, I leave you with this question to ponder. What are you doing with your time? and why well God you are wise you are all knowing you are holy you are sovereign and you have given us the gift of scarcity grow within us the wisdom to embrace that gift for your glory And to live more and more in the image of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our friend. In his name we pray. Amen.